The strange but true story featured on this podcast contains details some people may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Chaya Samuel and things are about to get weird. Hi there, thank you so much for joining me today for another episode of Things Are About To Get Weird. We're all about strange but true over here, so if you're the kind of person who can't get enough of everything from bizarre phenomena to wild life stories and unsolved mysteries, you've definitely clicked on the right podcast today. The last topic on that list is the focus of today's episode. It's been a good few weeks since I covered an unsolved mystery and the event I'm going to be talking about today has left me constantly drifting off into daydreams wondering what on earth happened. This is the story of the Flannan Isles mystery and I'm going to be taking you all the way back to the year 1900 to a tiny island in the Outer Hebrides located off the west coast of Scotland. If you love a good theory when it comes to tales with no definitive explanation, you're in for quite the ride today, so join me as we jump right into the story. So allow me to set the scene. It was the night of the 15th of December 1900, around 80 miles or roughly 128 kilometres from mainland Scotland, and a steamership called the Archtor, which had sailed across the Atlantic from Philadelphia, was nearing its final destination of the Scottish port of Leith. With it being nighttime, winter, and less than ideal weather conditions, as the ship was approaching the Flannan Isles in the Outer Hebrides, the crew immediately noticed something strange. The bright light that they had expected to be emanating from the lighthouse on Aylan Moor, one of the Flannan Isles, was nowhere to be seen. Three days later, the ship docked at Leith, and the crew reported their experience to the Northern Lighthouse Board, who could offer no explanation as to why the light wouldn't have been shining. The lighthouse was well-staffed, with three keepers scheduled to have been on duty at the time the arch tour sailed by on the 15th. Those three keepers were Principal James Ducat, who was 43 years old, second assistant Thomas Marshall, who was 40, and although the third man should have been first assistant William Ross, he was actually unwell and had not been able to take his place on duty. William was replaced by 28-year-old Donald MacArthur, who held the title of occasional keeper. There was also a relief keeper called Joseph Moore, who would occasionally rotate on and off duty, but he wasn't present on the island that night. There had been no other indications that there was a problem at the lighthouse other than the obvious lack of light. No communications that something had broken or that they were in any kind of difficulty, and no reports of any other problems within the team. After hearing this report, the Northern Lighthouse Board were clearly concerned, and they arranged to dispatch a light house tendership to investigate what was happening on the Flannan Isles. After being finished in 1899, after a four-year construction period, the lighthouse had only been operational for just over a year. With the island being so small and so remote, it must have been a mammoth task to build the lighthouse, and I imagine after all of the time and effort that went into the construction, seeing it standing unlit must have been perplexing. There was a bit of a delay in sending the tendership, however, 
from an article that I found that was translated from Italian, I gathered that there had been some kind of issue with the Arch Tour, which was the ship that initially noticed the light wasn't shining from the lighthouse. I think somewhere around the port of Leith it may have run aground and the captain had to formally answer authorities as to why this had happened. I believe this could have caused the report about the lighthouse to temporarily take a back seat. The tender ship was finally scheduled to set sail on either the 20th or 21st of December, I've seen both dates reported, but due to some horrendous weather conditions, the ship didn't reach the Flannan Isles until the 26th of December, which is of course Boxing Day. And it's from here that things start to get very eerie. Amongst the crew on the tender ship was the captain, a man named Jim Harvey, and the relief keeper I mentioned earlier, Joseph Moore. As the tender ship approached the island where the lighthouse stood, they soon realised that, once again, no light was shining and there was no flag flying either. Joseph Moore was used to the on-duty lighthouse keepers greeting him as he approached, excited to see a fresh face after weeks with only one another for company but there was no one waiting at the shore. Captain Harvey decided to sound the ship's horn to try and get the attention of the three keepers, and when that didn't work, he sent up a flare, but still there was no response. By this point, the crew were even more baffled, and they knew they were going to have to try and dock the ship, which would be tricky without anyone to help them landside, but eventually they were able to drop their anchor. Joseph Moore made his way onto dry land. Some reports say this was via a smaller boat and some say he was able to step onto the shore from the tender ship. But regardless, he was able to set off on his climb up the 160 steep steps up to the lighthouse. As he got closer and closer, no clues were being offered up as to what was going on. It was as quiet once he reached the lighthouse as it had been when he stepped onto the island. With what I can only imagine was a mixture of confusion and some trepidation, he entered the lighthouse and was greeted by a bizarre scene. The clock on the kitchen wall had completely stopped, and this was pretty reflective of the rest of the living quarters. It was as though the whole place was frozen in time. The dining table was set for a meal that had not been eaten, with some sources claiming it was either completely uneaten or partially eaten, though it could be that the table was simply set. The pots and pans were scrubbed clean, and the only thing that looked out of line was a single chair that was knocked over on the floor. The lighthouse's lamp was clean and all of the gates and doors, bar the one in the kitchen, were closed. Joseph found that the lighthouse's canary was still in its cage, but this was the only evidence of life that he could find on the island. James Ducat, Thomas Marshall and Donald MacArthur were nowhere to be seen. Joseph was alarmed at what he had found, or rather what he hadn't found, and he quickly returned to the tendership to report his experiences to the captain and crew. Later, on the 28th of December, he wrote, I only too well knew something serious had occurred. After Joseph told Captain Harvey what he'd found, the captain sent him back with a couple more crew members to do a more thorough investigation and search of the lighthouse and the areas surrounding it. Despite leaving no stone unturned, 
they found very few clues as to where the three men could be or why they were no longer at their post. What they did find was that of the three oilskin coats that were kept in the lighthouse, one for each keeper, two were missing. This was strange as it was protocol that a keeper must be wearing his protective raincoat when venturing outside. So why had one left without his coat? One article I read suggested that it was Donald MacArthur's oilskin that remained inside the lighthouse, so I can only assume that their names were written inside the coats. They did find evidence of some significant storm damage to the landing platform on the west side of the island, including bent, broken and twisted iron railings, items littered on the rocks below and a smashed supply box. There were also signs that turf from the top of the cliff had been ripped up, as had part of a railway track, and a huge rock had also been displaced. Once again, Joseph returned to Captain Harvey along with the crew members, who confirmed the condition of the lighthouse and the landing area, and that the keepers were definitely missing. Captain Harvey sent a telegram to the Northern Lighthouse Board, saying, A dreadful accident has happened at Flannan's. The three keepers, Ducat, Marshall and the Occasional, have disappeared from the island. On our arrival there this afternoon, no sign of life was to be seen on the island. Fired a rocket, but as no response was made, managed to land Moore, who went up to the station but found no keepers there. The clocks were stopped and other signs indicated that the accident must have happened about a week ago. Poor fellows, they must have been blown over the cliffs or drowned, trying to secure a crane or something like that. Captain Harvey ordered Joseph Moore, plus a handful of other crew members, to remain on the island until the Lighthouse Board Superintendent, Robert Muirhead, gave them further instructions. This decision was described in the captain's telegram as being to keep the light burning, but I would also guess that in addition to running the lighthouse, it would be useful to have the men there to continue searching for clues as to what happened to the previous crew. To my mind, it's almost creepier when someone has vanished and the place they were last seen looks pretty normal. It makes it feel like they vanished into thin air. I find it so odd. A few days later, on the 29th of December, Robert Muirhead arrived at the Flannan Isles himself. He had known James Ducat, Thomas Marshall and Donald MacArthur personally and felt it was his duty to dig deeper into their disappearance. When he arrived, he found that everything was as previously described, and at first he didn't find any additional evidence to indicate the fate of the three keepers. That was until he found the lighthouse's written log. Now, at this point, before I tell you what was apparently written in it, I do have to say that there are various debates surrounding the authenticity of this log, or at least the final entry in it. Some sources talk about it like it's a factual part of the story, some claim it never existed and was only mentioned years later, but after I did some further digging, what I think is closest to the truth is that all of the written log entries, bar the final one, are legitimate. For the purposes of our story, I'm going to treat it that way, and I think it gives a fascinating yet 
very weird insight into the trio's final days before they vanished. Most articles quote the logbook entries with slight variations, but they all have a similar gist, so I'll read out the ones that I believe to be accurate and we'll go from there. For reference, all of these entries look to have been written by Thomas Marshall. Here we go. December 12, gale north by northwest, sea lashed to fury, never seen such a storm, waves very high, tearing at lighthouse, everything shipshape, James Ducat irritable. Then later that day, storm still raging, wind steady, storm bound, cannot go out, ship passing sounding foghorn, could see lights of cabins, Ducat quiet, Donald MacArthur crying. December 13, storm continued through night, wind shifted west by north, Ducat quiet, MacArthur praying. Later that day, noon, grey daylight, me, Ducat and MacArthur prayed. There was no entry in the log on the 14th of December and the final entry, the one that's disputed, was allegedly written on a slate, which would, under normal circumstances, have been transferred to the paper log at a later time. It allegedly read, December 15, 1pm. Storm ended, sea calm. God is over all. So, of course, this date, the 15th of December, brings us to the night the arch tour ship passed by the lighthouse and noticed it was unlit. The most commonly strange thing that sources point out about the logbook entries is that, as lighthouse keepers, all three men would have been very much used to storms and bad weather, so it seemed highly unusual that they would be crying and praying in the face of adverse weather conditions. That last line, God is over all, is also odd, as it's not in keeping with the descriptive nature of the rest of the log. It's a much more personal addition. This is the entry that's cited as being false, though, so perhaps take it with a pinch of salt. So with all of this laid out, let's dive into the theories as to what happened to the three lighthouse keepers. The first and most widely accepted theory is that there was indeed an accident and that the three men ended up being swept out to sea. In his official report, Robert Muirhead wrote, I am of the opinion that the most likely explanation of this disappearance of the men is that they had all gone down on the afternoon of Saturday the 15th of December to the proximity of the West Landing to secure the box with the mooring ropes etc and that an unexpectedly large roller had come up on the island and a large body of water going up higher than where they were and coming down upon them had swept them away with resistless force. But whilst this idea did make sense, given the location of the lighthouse and the inherent dangers that came with their job, some major doubts were soon cast over this theory. For starters, not only had the men's bodies never washed up on any shore, no other evidence had either, not a piece of clothing or any other kinds of remains. All of the terrain around the lighthouse is rocky and jagged, 
and to me it feels likely that if they'd been swept up in a big wave, that they'd have landed on the rocks rather than directly in the ocean, and there'd be some kind of evidence left behind of the accident. Also, why on earth would MacArthur have been outside without his oil skin on? Even if he'd been called to assist the other two men in a hurry, say if they'd got into some difficulty, it was December in the Outer Hebrides, and it seems very unlikely that he would have ventured outside in his regular clothing, especially if there was a storm at the time. Which leads us to the third argument against this theory. If the final entry of the logbook is to be believed, the storm had passed and the conditions were calm by the 15th of December, at least in the daytime. There were also no other reports of storms in the area that day. The sea might have become choppier by the time the arch tour sailed past and saw the lighthouse was in darkness that night, but we'd be assuming that by then the men were no longer at their post. And finally, there's the fact that all three men were experienced lighthouse keepers and they would have known better than to put themselves in a dangerous situation where a wave could just sweep them away, especially all three of them at once. Even if Ducat and Marshall had got into difficulty first and an improperly clothed MacArthur had rushed to aid them, something about the fact that not a single trace of any of the men was left behind feels somewhat strange. Plus, in the log, Marshall wrote that on the 12th, when there was a storm, that they, quote, cannot go out. So why would they have done so on the 15th? There was, however, a suggestion that as Marshall had previously been fined five shillings for loss of equipment, that he would have been very keen to make sure that no other equipment on the West Landing was lost or damaged. But would this threat of another fine have been enough for not only him, but his two colleagues to put their lives at risk? Personally, I think it's doubtful, though I must admit that it is a possibility. So of course, with all of these holes in the explanation proposed by Robert Muirhead, alternative theories started to spread. Let's explore the more rational, if sinister, ideas first, which seem to centre around Donald MacArthur and his alleged character. Several sources mention that MacArthur had a reputation for being bad-tempered and at times violent. Rumours started to circulate that perhaps MacArthur had started a physical fight with his two fellow keepers, which had started outside and had resulted in all three men falling to their deaths from the cliff. Perhaps something had filled MacArthur so full of rage that he had headed outside wearing just his shirt to confront the other two and things escalated from there. The other theory concerning MacArthur and his apparent violent streak was that he had murdered Ducat and Marshall before throwing their bodies into the sea, then taking his own life by jumping from the cliff. But to me, neither of these ideas would explain why no traces of the men were ever found. And, spoiler alert, the bodies have not been found to this day. All three men truly vanished without a trace, and you'd imagine that if a huge fight had broken out or a double murder had taken place, there would be something to indicate a struggle, some blood or torn clothing perhaps. But then again, with the weather turning so bad after the 15th, 
Maybe any evidence was washed away. Now that I'm thinking about it, that one overturned chair in the kitchen could be a sign that someone had left the room in either a hurry or in anger. Or it could have been the one sign in the otherwise tidy lighthouse that an altercation had taken place inside initially. Obviously, these theories are really just speculation. But when there's such a lack of clues left behind, it's understandable that people started looking at those involved to see if there's anything to be deciphered from who they were as people. Then we get to the stranger theories, and you know that I can't resist a step into the paranormal or supernatural, so I was intrigued to find out more about these. Now, as you may know, there are lots of superstitions, myths and legends that surround anything to do with working at sea, especially in a historical context, and with the Flannan Isles being so remote, I think people have leaned into this side of things in an attempt to explain what happened that December. In a book called Mysterious Celtic Mythology in American Folklore by author Bob Curran, he references the Flannan Isle mystery, noting that, for many local people, there was little doubt that they had been spirited into the other world. The Flannan Isles are quite mysterious in their very nature, being so isolated and uninhabited aside from the lighthouse, so I can see how these ideas would have been so enticing. Stories of ghost ships luring people aboard to join them have long been whispered about, and it's one of the most commonly cited paranormal explanations for the Flannan Isle mystery. Ghost ships possessed by actual spirits are mostly mentioned in works of fiction, so it's likely that musings amongst locals about this possibility were based on fantasy tales that they may have read. However, I decided to do a little more research into the legends surrounding the Flannan Isles themselves, and what I found was very interesting. It said that the islands were feared by many sailors due to their jagged coastlines, which, especially before the lighthouse was built, could be very much hidden and obscured by any bad weather. It's believed that during the preceding centuries, several shipwrecks had been caused by this combination of treacherous conditions and the rough landscape, and if the crash was bad enough to cause loss of life, the bodies of the sailors aboard would lay strewn across the rocks. When you look at pictures of the Flannan Isles, and I'll be sure to put one on Instagram so you can see what I mean, all of the rocks on the coastlines of these very small islands, which make up the cliffs, they're incredibly brutal looking, they're so sharp. So it's easy to imagine how dangerous these would have been. The isles are named after an Irish saint who was thought to have lived in the 7th century, and there's even a ruined chapel on the island which also hosts the lighthouse in honour of Saint Flannan. Although no one lived on the island, shepherds would sometimes bring their sheep to graze on the land, but as soon as darkness fell, they would swiftly leave. It was widely believed that spirits haunted the island and they were not welcoming. Articles I've read note that these spirits were considered sinister and hostile and the isles have long been considered to hold a strong supernatural power. I wonder whether any of the spirits that did inhabit the island were angered by the building of this lighthouse, almost as if it was an obstruction of the natural landscape or a disrupting force on the ancient land. I know for many people the answer to this mystery will lie far more in the logical possibilities, 
but from my own experiences and because I do love a dip into the paranormal, I can't help but wonder whether there could be a connection between the building of this new lighthouse on this potentially haunted island and this very weird event taking place. There were other alternative theories that popped up too, of course, and a couple of them were pretty off the wall. There was a lot of talk about a giant sea serpent rising up from the ocean and consuming the men whole. And then there was, of course, the notion that they could have been abducted by aliens. I completely understand why these theories became popular, because they would have neatly explained the total lack of any trace evidence being left behind. All that's been recorded on the paranormal front is that in the decades following the disappearance of the three men, subsequent lighthouse keepers working on the Flannan Isles experienced hearing strange voices calling out the names of the missing trio. The logical side of my brain wants to think that these voices were probably figments of the keepers' imaginations and that they simply got swept up in the mystery and intrigue of the island and the lighthouse's history. But something in my spooky heart believes that perhaps the spirits are anchored to the island regardless of what happened to them. Ultimately, not a soul knows what their fate was other than the three of them. And if that's not the kind of unfinished business that could cause a spirit to haunt a place, I don't know what is. So what do I believe happened? I think the reason that this story is so strange and so intriguing is because there isn't really an answer that makes complete sense. Yes, of course, the official explanation, the idea that there was some kind of accident, does feel most likely, especially when you consider the additional context that the landscape itself could have been to blame. The Flannan Isles contain a number of narrow gullies which are called geos. In a nutshell, water can gather in these geos before bursting out with a huge amount of force creating this tall wave, which could have resulted in the men being swept up and knocked into the sea below. But every time I start to accept that it was an accident or adverse weather conditions that caused the men to fall from the cliff, I remember the uneaten or half-eaten meals still sitting on the dining table and the oilskin coat still hanging up, unworn by MacArthur, and the single knocked-over chair in the kitchen and something just doesn't feel right. Personally, I would love to know whether the men had access to any kind of small boat or whether they were completely dependent on the tendership to bring them supplies and help them rotate who was on shift. This is for a couple of different reasons. Firstly, because if they were completely trapped on the island with no means to get off, perhaps this could have contributed to some kind of psychological issue developing for one of the men, who then ended up harming the other two. Of course, I'm purely speculating, but I guess it's possible. On the flip side, if there was a small boat that they could use, this could play into the murder theory. Could one of the men have killed the other two and then escaped on the boat? perhaps even with their bodies, which he then disposed of elsewhere, which could explain why no remains were ever washed up near the island. It's likely that we'll never know, which is so frustrating, but that's the nature of an unsolved mystery. By the way, if you're thinking that this story sounds familiar, it could be because it was explored in the 2018 film The Vanishing, starring Gerard Butler. 
I haven't actually seen the film and until I started looking into this story, I hadn't even heard of it, but I am absolutely going to be giving it a watch as I'm very intrigued to see how they handle the actual disappearance part. I'm also now wondering whether my feeling that something very odd or sinister might have happened could be based on the unrelated Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson film, The Lighthouse, which if you haven't seen it, I would very much recommend, especially if you're into the weirder things in life like I am. Ultimately, I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on this story. Which theory do you find most convincing? Or do you have any other completely alternative ideas that I haven't covered? I do wonder whether the truth could lie in totally uncharted territory as far as the possible explanations go. One final thought to leave you with is that I think this story is very much of its time and if something like this happened today, we'd likely have much clearer answers. The lack of communication options and all of the delays in investigators reaching the island as well as not having the kind of forensic knowledge and capabilities that we have in 2022, means that the relevant authorities had very little to go on. Sadly, I believe that this is a story that will remain a mystery and will continue to be part of the Flannan Isles folklore for centuries to come. A massive, massive thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you found this story as interesting as I did. I can't believe that I'd never heard of it until now, and I keep finding myself trying to picture what took place that day. It's just so, so odd. As I say, I can't wait to hear what you think happened, so feel free to get in touch on Instagram. Our handle is at Things Get Weird Podcast, and on Twitter, it's at About To Get Weird, although honestly, who knows what's going on with Twitter at the moment. One of my favourite ways to chat with you all is on Facebook, as we not only have the page, but the discussion group as well. It's a private group, so it feels like a nice little closed club where we can all have a good chat. So if you'd like to be part of it, just search Things Are About To Get Weird on there, and it should pop right up. Time to give a shout out to the articles and the other sources which helped me research today's story. So there was an article from history.co.uk, which I believe is the Sky History website. Another piece from discoveryuk.com. The Italian website I mentioned, bottegamistero.com. An article from noble-caledonia.co.uk. A piece from historic-uk.com a post from strangeoutdoors.com, one from mentalfloss.com, and finally, an article from historyhit.com. A big thank you once again for being here today and for being so wonderful with your ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts too. Being an indie podcast, not attached to a network or anything, it's super challenging to get the word out there and things like ratings really do help. So if you're enjoying these episodes, I would be beyond grateful if you could click those stars or write a few words about why you enjoy the podcast wherever you listen. It really does mean the world. Until next time, take care of yourself and others and keep it weird, but the good kind of weird. Weird.